pray together. Holy and gracious God, we just thank you for your goodness and mercy day by day. We thank you for this place together in worship and praise with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for those who lead us. We thank you for the words that you provide for us to, to offer our praise and to express our, our faith in you. We thank you for your goodness day by day. We thank you that you are indeed are worthy and deserving of all of our praise each and every day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. It's good to be with you this morning and to, to share with you. And in my position as the executive director of the Methodist Foundation, usually I'm invited to preach on money. Uh, but this is not today to do that, I don't quite think. And so we're going to think a little more expansively. I know we're thinking Father's Day for one thing. I, I wore my traditional Father's Day tie. Erin uh, and her brothers, who are older, uh, made this for me probably about 28 or 9 years ago. And so that's, I wear it every Father's Day to celebrate them and being a father. But I want to share a scripture with you today that talks about God as our Heavenly Father. It is from the 8th chapter of Romans, beginning with the 12th verse. And I'm reading from the Common English Bible. So then, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation But it isn't an obligation to ourselves to live our lives on the basis of selfishness. If you live on the basis of selfishness, you're going to die. But if you put to death the actions of the body with the spirit, you will live. All who are led by God's spirit are God's sons and daughters. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to lead you back again into fear, but you received a spirit of that shows you are adopted as his children. With this spirit we cry, Abba, Father. The same spirit agrees with our spirit that we are God's children. But if we are children, we are also heirs. We are God's heirs and fellow heirs with Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Family is a a term that is interesting in and of itself, but got a little story about a family, and dad was speaking to their two young daughters, and he said, well, mommy is going to be hosting her boss here at the house tonight. We're going to have a meal together at the table, and I want to warn you that her boss is very important. He's a very important man to your mommy, but he has a very, very large nose, now, your, your mommy's boss has a really large nose, so I want you to promise me that you're not going to stare at his nose, and you're not going to say anything about his nose. Do you understand now? Don't stare, don't say anything about his nose. Well, the boss shows up, the dinner is served, they had an enjoyable time at the table, the children don't stare, they look at the nose, they don't stare, and they didn't say a word about his nose, and the children are excused to go to their room to play, and coffee is served. And the dad, as he is serving the coffee to the boss, says, Mr. James, would you like cream and sugar for your nose? 
So sometimes we try our best and things just don't turn out quite like we like. And, and that's true in family, that family is kind of messy, isn't it? You know, nobody can say, I have a perfect family. Everybody gets along all the time, and everybody loves one another all the time, and everything goes just according to plan. It's kind of like a, a family that drove up to a campground, and they dropped, stopped their SUV. All the, the mom and dad and the three children hopped out, and they began to unload the SUV. They erected the tent. They got the, the cooking equipment out. They got sleeping bags out. They got the chairs established, and they did everything and got the the campsite done in record time, and while they were doing that, other people were standing around kind of watching in awe about how well this family worked together. And later that evening, the, some of the parents that were observing went to the parents of this family and said, you know, we're just amazed at how well your family gets along when setting up the, the camp and how well they did and how efficient they are. How do you do it? And the mom said, it's simple. We have a rule. No one goes to the bathroom until the camp is established. So sometimes it's not quite as clear as it appears. And, and family can be messy, but family, as we're talking about today, is a, is a broad term of, it, of being exclusive. A family can be from 1 to 101 people. There's, there's no rules about what a family is. Families can be blended families. They can be single-parent households. They can be single people, they can be anything multi-generational and everything else in between. That's what I mean when I'm talking about family. And, and I appreciate what Aunt said earlier about fathers on Father's Day. Not everybody's had a great experience with a father. And, and some have had fathers who are absent. Some have had fathers who are emotionally distant. Some have had good fathers and and everything in between, and it's okay to feel whatever you feel this day about fathers, but don't project how you feel about an earthly father onto our heavenly father. That's not the way it works. It's not as our earthly fathers are, so is God. God is a different parent. God is a heavenly father who is perfect. God is a heavenly father who, who loves with an unconditional love and loves with an unending love for all of us all of God's children. So we're all included. When you're talking about family, I want to focus a little bit on the table and how we share together at Table Fellowship as a family. Leonard Sweet wrote a book called From Tablet to Table, and in that book he, he says, 60 years ago, the average family spent 90 minutes at dinner together. Can you imagine that? 90 minutes around the table 60 years ago in the average family. The average family today at dinner, when they do sit down together, spends 12 minutes at the table. 12 minutes. My wife Lisa fusses when all of our family's together that she cooks all day and we sit down at the meal and we're through in about 15 minutes, you know, and she says, that's not fair. I've spent all this time and it's done and over with. But we tend to, to rush because we've got something else to do, somewhere else to be. In fact, he says that research shows that the average family spends about as much on fast food as they do on groceries from the grocery store. We just don't spend very much time together at table as a family. But there's some research that's shown that the number one factor for parents raising intelligent 
and kind human beings is frequent family dinners, time together at the table. The number one shaper of vocabulary in younger children is frequent family dinners, time spent together at the table. And the number one predictor of future academic success for elementary children is frequent family dinners, time together at the table. And we can kind of broaden that a little bit to talk about our church family spending time together. I know you normally have Wednesday night meals and there's time together at table, there's time together at special events and time together in class. There's always a way to be together. And you can kind of get a sense of that as we spend time together Hopefully that our children will become kind human beings as followers of Jesus Christ and that our young children will be shaped in their vocabulary about God's love and how to talk about their faith and understand what that is and they will have success in the future, maybe not in the sense of of being a millionaire, but success in the sense of being a follower of Jesus who understands what that is and what it means in their daily walk in Christ. So the table is very important for us, and family is very important. Jesus spent a lot of time at table in his ministry. In fact, some of his critics said that he was a wine-bibber and a glutton because he spent so much time together at table fellowship. Because he liked to do that because he understood that it's important to shape and form people at table. And he was also trying to make a statement about who's in and who's out. And let me share this with you. Book of Leviticus, written about 500 years before Jesus appears in his ministry, talked about who was in and who was out in terms of table fellowship and the worship of God. Leviticus says, no one who has a blemish shall draw near. So if you have acne, if you have a rash, whatever, you can't worship. One who is blind or lame, one who has a mutilated face or a limb too long, one who has a broken foot or a broken hand or a hunchback or a dwarf, you're not allowed into the temple to worship God. You're not allowed to be at table fellowship because in Jesus's time to be at someone's table as the host you were saying that this person is acceptable in the eyes of God and so it was about who wasn't at the table that was just as important as who was at the table and about 50 years before Jesus the Qumran community said this about who's in and who's out they said no man smitten in his flesh is allowed. No one paralyzed in his feet or hand or lame or blind or deaf or dumb. And no old tottery man unable to stay still, let him not enter among the congregation, for he is smitten. Excluded. If you weren't kind of perfect, you weren't allowed in. You were excluded from fellowship and table and worship. And Jesus kind of had a way of of going the other direction about expanding the concept of who's in and who's out. Because Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus ate with sinners. Now, sinners were not necessarily bad people that went out, murdered people, and robbed and stole and all that. 
By sinners, these were people who did not follow all the ritual laws of the Jewish people. They didn't wash their hands in a proper way. They, they mixed meat and dairy together. They used cloth that was from two sources in their garments. And, and they didn't pray at the proper times every day. They, they probably didn't go to synagogue on a regular basis. And they didn't offer the proper sacrifices at the proper time in the temple. That's what we're, is meant by a sinner and because of the religious authorities that have established who's in and who's out. But Jesus ate with sinners and said, they're welcome at my table. Jesus ate with tax collectors, and tax collectors were, were uh, seen as treasonous traitors in the eyes of the Jewish people because they were colluded with the Roman occupying forces. But they were acceptable. And when Jesus was eating in various places in the gospel, even some women came in, and that was a, a no-no for, for women to be there in public with a man, for sure. And, uh, and some of these women, well, they were women of, well, let's say, less than reputable reputations. And people were offended that Jesus let them come to him. They were offended that Jesus would let them touch him. But Jesus says, it's okay. It's fine with me. Because Jesus was always trying to expand the understanding of who God is. And that God's family is much broader than the religious authorities of the day would try to say to us about them. It was an inclusive understanding of who's in the family of God. Who is welcome to be at the table fellowship of the most high God. That it's open to so many more than people were able to see in that day and in that time. So it's really not surprising that Jesus has some parables about the table and about who's welcome and who's not. He tells a, terrible, a parable about uh, a, a man who's having a great banquet feast and suddenly all the people who've been invited send their regrets and they can't come and and instead of saying well okay that's the end of that he sends out his servants out to the highways and byways and invites everyone they see to come in when the room is getting full they say well lord we've we've gone out there and gotten all we can and and the master says no there's room for more go out there again and and invite some more to come into the banquet feast wide and open doors. And Jesus, in what we've come to call the story, the parable of the prodigal son, which really is the parable of the loving father. You remember that one where the son gets his inheritance, goes off to a foreign land, which you didn't do if you were Jewish. You didn't have anything to do with those people. And then he even feeds the pigs, which is something else the Jews wouldn't do. And he comes back home, and what does the father do? He doesn't say, well, you're not worthy to sit at my table anymore. The father runs out to the son, embraces him, kisses him, puts a robe on his back and sandals on his feet, a ring on his finger, and has a great banquet feast saying my son who once was lost now is home and found again let's party let's have a party let's be open here and so it's not surprising that in Paul's letter to the Romans that Paul talks about 
how in Jesus Christ through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit that we are made the sons and daughters of the Most High God, that we are made the brothers and sisters of Jesus and, and join heirs and that we are welcome at that table in the great heavenly banquet feast that is to come, that, that we're all invited to come to the table and that God is calling us and inviting us and in fact as Wesleyan Christians we believe in what's called a prevenient grace, a grace that goes before that the Holy Spirit is working in everyone and the Holy Spirit is nudging and, and pushing and, and gently leading along trying to bring everyone to that place where they come to faith in Jesus Christ where everyone understands that they have been invited to the table, that everyone understands that they are invited to become a brother and sister with Christ, a joint heir at the king's table and that the Heavenly Father loves them all. The Heavenly Father only has eyes of love for us all. And he longs for all of us to come home. He longs for all of us to come to our place at the table. So I believe a wonderful image for that is to, to see the table prepared. And if you've been to some banquets or a reception, sometimes they have place cards at each place at the table so you know where you're supposed to go and, and where you're supposed to sit. You walk around and you find your name there. And one thing that's kind of neat because you know you belong, that you're in the right place because there's your name at the place at the table and I believe that's what God has done for us in Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, that there is a place at the table, a place at the table with our name on it. And God is longing for us to come and, and sit at the table with our Heavenly Father. He longs for us to be at his table, to sit there and, and to enjoy fellowship with him for all eternity. Leonard Sweet in the book From Tablet to Table has a, a wonderful story that I'd never read before until I saw it in the book. And he says about a man who was, well, a man of, of limited means. He had to live very frugally in his life. He didn't have a lot, and, and he'd have to kind of scrimp and save to have what he had. And, but he always had a dream. His one big dream in life was that he wanted to go on a cruise. He wanted to go on a cruise. He longed to go on a cruise. He would go to the, the travel offices and pick up brochures for cruises. And he would just sit there and just dream about being on that cruise. He would see the beaches, the white sandy beaches, and, and he would see the palm trees and the water there and the people enjoying themselves. He would see all the amenities on the ship, the beautiful staterooms and, and all the other facilities, the pool on the ship and the theater and all that went with that. And he also would see the, the sumptuous feasts that were on the cruise ships, the 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 buffets that were there laden down with food and, and the restaurants where people were sitting and eating these wonderful-looking meals and all these delicious-looking desserts and, and all that. But he, and he knew that even if he could ever possibly have enough money to buy a ticket on the, for the cruise, that he would never have enough money to be able to buy a meal there on the cruise ship, that he could not begin to afford anything that lavish and that nice. 
Well, he worked for years and years and years saving his money. And, and finally, he had enough money to buy a ticket on a cruise for a week. And he was so excited. And, and, and of course, he remembered that, well, I can get on the cruise, I can go to the places, but I can't afford to eat the food because I don't have any money left to pay for the food on the ship. So he brought with him enough bread and peanut butter to last him the whole week. And so as he walked around the ship and saw all the wonderful sights and they went to visit the islands, he had a wonderful time and he ate his peanut butter sandwiches alone in his room when he saw all that food all around him and people enjoying their meal and the restaurants and all. And about the, the third day, that peanut butter began to kind of stick in his mouth when he was chewing it. It got harder and harder for him to swallow that peanut butter because he kept seeing all that wonderful food out there on the buffet and in the restaurants, and, and he kind of started longing for that. About the fourth day, he just couldn't get it down anymore. He couldn't even chew that peanut butter and bread in his mouth anymore. He was so despairing, finally he just ran to the nearest ship's officer he could find and said, Sir, sir, I want to eat the food. I want to have some of the food here, but, but I understand I've spent all my money on my ticket. I don't have any more money. I can't afford to pay for the food, but, but sir, I'll be willing to do anything just to have a meal here. I'll scrub the decks. I'll clean the bathrooms. I'll fold the laundry. I'll do anything if I can just eat some of the food. And you can imagine, the officer looked at him and and thought, what are you talking about, God? He said, don't you understand that your ticket includes all the food that you see? Don't you understand? I think that's a story for us as well. As we gather at table, and as we have this table prepared for us today, that our place at the table has been made possible for us through Jesus Christ, through his death and his resurrection. And the invitation to be at the table is sent out through the Holy Spirit. And God the Father is waiting to host the feast, waiting for us to come. The table set. Your place is here. The Father is waiting for you to come. All we need to do is come to the table to be a part of God's family for all eternity. Your place is waiting for you this day. Let's pray together. Holy and gracious God, we thank you for your goodness and mercy day by day. We thank you for your understanding of family your understanding of who's in and who's out, your wonderful gift of an eternal family, of brothers and sisters in Christ, your offer to us of a place at your heavenly banquet table with you for all eternity. May we hear this invitation this day. Amen.